Hey everybody, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I am your co-host, Mike Leidman, and I am joined with none other than... Laura Leidman. Each and every week we take a movie from our past and have a look back and see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high praise of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. How are you doing, hun? It's a special day for us. It is a special day, and I know that people are going to be listening to this in a couple weeks rather than currently, but yes. today is our baby's second birthday. It's his second birthday. Yeah. Holy crap, we have a two-year-old. I know, isn't that crazy? And we have a, what's this, seven-week-old seven podcast, eight-week-old podcast? At, at, the, at the time it's airing, or how many episodes? This is episode 10. A 10-week-old podcast. Yeah. She's starting old. to like do tummy time and stuff. <laughs> I would love to see that. The podcast <laughs> on tummy time. Anyway. Anyway, but yeah, it's been a it's been a busy, busy weekend. Yeah. And I don't we, know about you. I'm tired. I'm tired, I'm but tired. I'm feeling good. We we socially distanced saw family, which was nice, and everybody had to wear masks, which you know I'm glad nobody fought us on. And we did everything safely and kept everybody safe, but distant, but together. Yeah, it was a good time. So it was a good time and our child got spoiled. So yeah. everybody wins. Especially our child. Oh my because God. Because he, he was so spoiled. spoiled. Yeah, lots of presents <laughs> for that kid. None of the movie related though. One of them was. His big wheel is Spider-Man. Well, is that, it's not a Spider-Man movie though. It's based on. Oh, I was really trying. You did stretch as much as you possibly I really could. Did. And I wouldn't let you get there. Ugh, I anyway, wouldn't let you get there. Anyway, this week, we will be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, which originally hit theaters back in 1991. Well, that's incorrect. No, oh, oh, wow. No, yeah, I definitely, I wrote 81. I read 1991. That's definitely incorrect. For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. That's something to be taken lightly. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I'll tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Anyway, <laughs> shall I take you back to the wonderful, fashionable year of 1981? Please, please set the scene. It is June 1981, and as usual, I go into these thinking, I'm going to find some really nice, positive, upbeat things to talk about. What murder did you find? <laughs> On June 3rd, Pope John Paul II is released from hospital after an assassination attempt. Not bad, not, not as bad as uh, murder. But or, sorry, 17 days later, he's back in hospital for 55 days due to an infection. Oh, well, either way, still not a murder, so not the worst. June 5th, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control reports on pneumonia affecting five homosexual men in L.A. This is the known start of the AIDS epidemic. Oh, well, 
you always gotta go you always gotta go for the the feel-good stories right june 11th cannibal essay sagawa kills dutch student renee hartfelt should i just ask you to stop doing murder stories not much else interesting actually happened okay fun thing is he never really went to jail for it and is still a free man that's not fun. That's not a fun fact for our fun movie His podcast. His job professional is listed as professional speaker. He gets paid to give talks. Even better. What else do you have? <laughs> June 28th, Terry Fox, Canada's one-legged marathoner, dies of cancer. Oh, my God. So what, thank, what are you doing here? Thank goodness we have such an upbeat and fun movie <laughs> that brought the world together in June of 1981. Fun fact, though. The following, this is another one of those months where it's like, wow, this month kind of sucked. But look at all these really famous people who were born all at the same time. Okay. Amy Schumer, mm-hmm. Natalie Portman, Ooh. Chris Evans, TJ Miller, Adriana Lima, Brandon Flowers, and Anna Kornikova were all born within four weeks of each other. See, those those people are impressive, but I didn't want to just start going, ooh, ah, between every single one of them because we would have been here all day. Yeah, exactly. So, so a nice, impressive list. Yeah, so much more positive than the whole rest of what was going on. Sometimes it makes me feel good to know that every month ever has always been kind of a crapshoot. So, I mean, right now isn't that bad, all things considered. Perhaps so. Anywho, this brings us to June 12th of 1981, a unifying factor bringing us all together. Now, uh, in fun fact, actually, and this is actually... For me, I found this very interesting. Right at this time, going into the summer of 1981... Film studios were like, we need a hit. Things are going really badly. We're not making any money. And this is like, it was a big combination of factors. Butts weren't in seats. There was a rising cost of tickets. Very similar stuff going on right now. Like there, most people weren't going to the movies anymore. So I they, feel like people were going not going to the movies for a very different reason though. Well, there's actually quite a few reasons for it. And it's not just like one or two things. It was quite a few different factors just like today Mm -hmm. where like rising again rising ticket costs and just not a huge draw of movies for people the number one movie leading like that raiders ousted was cheech and chong's nice dreams i've never even heard of that movie right i know there's a whole bunch of cheech and chong movies but i've never heard of that one but the thing going in like nobody even had heard of raiders should should we add the Cheech and Chong movie to the list? No. We have to have seen these movies. Fair. Well, we did say at some point we're going to start trying to figure out a way to put movies that we haven't seen on the list. But I feel like Cheech and Chong's Bad Dream or whatever it was is not going to nice be. Nice dreams. Nice dreams. But yeah, so it came in number one at 8.3 million, which is not bad for a movie that really didn't have much press going into it. Because the movies that people were really, like the studios were really pushing were what they considered to be guaranteed hits were things like Superman 2 and Clash of the Titans, things that seem like known properties. James Bond, another James Bond movie is coming out later in the month. For Your Eyes Only, that was another one for the summer that the studios were really banking on. These are going to be our hits. Raiders didn't get a lot of press. So in its second week, it got beat by Superman 2. Like It still did way better than they expected, but Superman 2 not only beat it, but set the highest debut record at $14.1 million. You know, of those movies, Superman 2 is the only Superman movie I haven't seen. I've seen the other three, but I've not seen Superman 2. I think I've only seen the first one. 
Well, I haven't seen two, so I can't say good or bad, but you're probably better off having just seen Superman one. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. I think we own. We do. Somebody got you Superman as three joke, as a joke. joke gift. Yeah. yeah. For like a yeah, Secret Santa joke gift. So Superman was number one for four weeks, but then Raiders won again. And it held that spot for five weeks. And then in December, it was number one again in its 26th week of release. I guess the word was traveling. Oh, yeah. It's just word of mouth. People were, and people were seeing it again and again. And overall, Raiders was the top film of 1981 at $212 million. And then it was followed by On Golden Pond. And then after that was Superman 2. So the big movie they were counting on wasn't even number one or two. It was number three, followed by Arthur Stripe's Cannibal Run, Chariots of Fire, For Your Eyes Only, The Four Seasons, and Time Bandits. I have not seen most of those movies. Me either. I've seen several, Cannonball Run. Several of them have been remade. And uh, what about Cannonball Run 2? I feel like I've seen Cannonball. I'm either remembering... Cannonball Run one or two? I don't I know. Seen it's been a very long time. I know that the woman who plays Catwoman is also in, like in in the animated series. Oh, so, I was gonna say many people. Have yeah, Catwoman yeah. The one? woman who played Catwoman, Adrian Babineau or Barbro, I think it is. She's also in Escape from New York, but she's in Cannonball Run, and she plays one of two hot women who drive a Lamborghini around the entire movie. Hey, we saw a Lamborghini yesterday. We did. It was not the same Lamborghini as the one that no, was in Cannonball Run. No, it looked fairly new. Yeah, no. Anyway, yeah. side notes. Let's get back into to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let us. Let us. I'm actually really excited to talk about it because it is a movie that I specifically remember watching on VHS as a child. And I'm pretty sure the first one of the series I watched was actually the second one. See, that's the thing. Indiana Jones, and this is a fun fact from last week, because at the end, when we teased that we were going to talk about this, I think I said that I looked for Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that didn't show up when I was like doing my Googling searching. Mm -hmm. The copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark that we own is called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's probably why I've thought that's what it was called, even though I knew that it wasn't Indiana Jones, because the my copy says that name. Anyway, when it comes to certain... <laughs> franchises i've seen them in like reverse order and this is one of those series you know for me that i've seen in complete reverse order the first one i saw was last crusade oh oh okay yeah no i i'm pretty sure i went two three one and i've done that with other ones i'm pretty sure i did that with uh back to the future mm -hmm. as a kid because you're as a child you're just relying on what your parents are showing you i think my mom wanted me to see the eating monkey brains thing oh yeah no that would be That'd be, that'd be a thing to watch because well, your mom like likes to make you suffer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. No. And I remember watching them as a kid and really liking them. And I remember it was a movie we watched several times as a kid growing up, like on like rainy Saturdays and stuff. My mom would just pop those movies in on the VHS. And we'd watch those when I think when she was like sick of us watching like, the same VHS, like I'm not watching Lion King again. Watch right. Raiders, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. I feel like, like I said, the first Indiana Jones film I saw was Last Crusade. And I feel like more of my memories of Raiders came from parodies of Raiders because there's so many Raiders parodies, like especially yes. anybody running from the ball. Like that's in yeah. there's if there's a UHF, the Weird Al movie 
has a Raiders spoof where he that, runs from the ball. That like, doesn't surprise me one bit. Like it's in the Simpsons. There's a very famous Simpsons opening scene where uh, Bart's stealing Homer's change jar. The end of the movie is spoofed in the pilot of the X-Files. Like everyone does it. There's a whole show called Warehouse 13 based off this idea of this warehouse, right? Like it's, it's such a well-known movie that it's spoofed everywhere. And like, not only is it a well-known movie because there, there's so much that have come out of this franchise, but like have, you've been to like Disney and Universal and all yep. that. You, you, I'm sh- definitely, I'm assuming you're the, the, the live, live, sh- live show, the stage show. Yeah. yeah. And like the, the stage show is then in an episode of Full House, which was the biggest show in the world for a while. Like it's, it's crazy. Like my dad had a legit, like we, when we went to Florida, he bought one of the legit indiana jones hats and still has it like a very high quality i'm pretty sure he spent way too much money on it (laughs) but like a legit you know indiana jones hat like indiana jones like who would you say because harrison ford obviously has gone on to be like a huge actor terrible pilot great actor (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong you're not wrong but what would you say <laughs> now you're just laughing that like uh, my joke was really funny. <laughs> I do that a lot. Sometimes I'm funny and not gift form. Uh-huh. Anyway. Anyway, what well, what would you say Harrison Ford is more known for? Would you say Han Solo or Indiana Jones? Uh, it's hard. It, it's very much like they're both I would say they're on the same pedestal. And there's a lot of like things that I've seen where Indiana Jones and Han Solo are referenced constantly like together kind of a thing yeah. like there's actually there's literally a a star wars comic it's it's been erased from star wars history because you know how like i know you're not the biggest star wars fan in the world no. but you know how it's a long time ago in a far you know place far far away kind of a thing yes i, I completely screwed that up i'm a disgrace to star wars fans that yes. was not how that goes but there is a star wars comic that was produced that is no longer accurate because of you know well it was it was a fake like side story anyway but there is a, literally a Star Wars comic where Han Solo and Chewbacca crash the the Millennium Falcon and they die. Mm. And then years go by, like hundreds of years. And Chewbacca, because of he's a he's a, an alien that has different physiology from human people, he's still alive. And he he's found by Indiana Jones. So like they did this whole bit where Indiana Jones finds Chewbacca and like the Millennium Falcon and, and all this stuff. And it was like, it, it's like a, it, it, it is in a comic book and it ends with Indiana Jones showing up and it being very obviously Indiana Jones kind of a thing. Cause at the time, you know, the licenses were all together kind of a thing. There's a, there's a video game called Mercenaries Playground of Destruction and it was published <laughs> by Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. but not Lucasfilm. It was published by like LucasArts, which was their gaming wing. And there is cheat codes to unlock both Han Solo and Indiana Jones in the same game. So you can play as Han Solo and Indiana Jones in this video game. Interesting. They're not voice characters. They're just I literally say... their skins on top of your character, but it's super neat. And I, I, every time I tried to play that game, I never knew who I wanted to play as more Indiana Jones or Han Solo. So it's really hard to say which one 
is like the more well-known character because Harrison Ford is synonymous with both characters. That's why whenever there's the rumor of, oh, they're going to make a new Indiana Jones movie and it's not going to be Harrison Ford, people are so against it because he's so synonymous with that character. Same with Han Solo. I mean, they did make a movie with Han Solo that was not him that people didn't really like. I thought it was okay. I don't know why people hate it so much. It's not good. You didn't watch it. How do you know? I don't know. I thought it was okay. I was just saying what the fans wanted you, to hear. Yeah, that really was what you were doing. 100%. Uh, but on that note, they they are like the the fifth film is in production, pre-production. Yes, and he is supposed to be in it. It is a sequel. It. He's mm-hmm. in it. Don't know how much he's going to be in it, but he will be in it. And Spielberg has promised that Indiana Jones will not be killed off. Good. But at that point, with five movies, it means he's been in more movies as Indiana Jones than he was in Star Wars as Han Solo. Well, he'd be in the same amount of movies as Han Solo. You didn't watch one of them. He dies in one. He still shows up in one of them in like a flashback. That kind doesn't of a ghost count. Thing. It's still him playing Han Solo. Yeah, but he's not like alive. It's 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 not recycled footage. It's Harrison Ford as Han Solo. You did no, not see. You did not see count. Rise of the Skywalker, so you would not know. That's, I don't think that counts. It counts. It's him in the movie playing Han Solo. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if that counts. I get it's it's an uncredited cameo, so it doesn't count. Okay, fine. Sorry, I didn't know we weren't counting uncredited cameos of actors playing the character by name. We all know who he's playing. <laughs> Shall we get into? Sure, let's get into this movie rather than arguing about Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars semantics. Because I don't like Star Wars. <laughs> I know you don't. Which is uh, it's going to be great because sooner or later I'm going to spring one of them on you. One day. I'm going to be so unhappy. <laughs> I'm going to do it because you, you're my husband and I love you, but. I'm sure you're going to pull movies on me that I'm not going to be excited to watch either. Like The Craft? Like The Craft. <laughs> <laughs> to start things off, I'm going to start right with the beginning of the movie. And this is a trope that they actually continued throughout all the movies. And I really enjoyed that they did this. And it's really cool how they did it is they show the Paramount logo and then they fade into like a mountain or something in the background and that takes the place of the mountain and Mm -hmm. they do that in all the Indiana Jones movies and I've always thought that that was a really cool touch to start the movie off and I didn't remember that this movie like goes like it shows the it shows the intro like Paramount presents and then it says Harrison Ford Raiders of the Lost Ark like right away like I I seem to remember that the opening scene going a little longer before the credits started to hit but Mm -hmm. but yeah no this just takes off and goes yeah the first thing I actually, because I'm glad you mentioned that because I had no idea that's how they all open like that. Yep. So that's really cool. The first thing I noticed was, hey, is that Alfred Molina? Yeah. And and I was wondering if you were going to catch that because I noticed you weren't paying attention because I wrote this down. Alfred Molina is credited in the intro of the movie. He's one of the names oh, in the in the opening yeah, no, credits. No, I wasn't and, and I paying was, attention. Well, I figured, I figured when, when his name went by and you didn't go, Alfred Molina, that you weren't looking. So when he showed up, because I knew who he was, I've seen the movie like a, a whole bunch of times. I I never noticed his name was in the credits before, and I was like, "Wait, how did he get his name in the opening credits for such a small role, which is essentially a cameo, right?" How? What? Oh, I'm just wondering. Are you going to tell me? How? No, I have no idea. I have no clue. But oh. yeah, so yeah, that's what I, I wondered. But yeah, Alfred Molina pops up at the beginning of the movie. 
Oh, yeah, no, I and you know what I recognized him more from because he's so much younger than like, you know, when I movies that I would have recognized him like from, Spider-Man, like Spider-Man was his voice because his voice is the same. He's got a very good voice. He does a lot of VO these days. And yeah, he's got one of those voices where you're like, that's a that's a good voice. Like in Gravity Falls. What was he? He was the multi-bear. He's the multi-bear. Yes. Uh, you guys got to watch Gravity Falls. It's a very good show. But uh, w- one thing I noticed early, the uh, and. I feel like, cause like the the music in in it is um, what's his name? It's John Williams. Yeah, like who's obviously like, you know, they. So I feel like they, the sound must originate from Raiders, but where the spiders are on them and it makes that like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The music that I can't replicate with my mouth because I can't. That music is in the X Files. Anytime something creepy happens, like that same music. Well, they, it's probably just a motif that shows up in. Yeah, so music. I wanted to did, did it originate in Raiders or? But like, instantly I was like, "That's the X Files music." But obviously, <laughs> X Files is not, not as old as Raiders. And also, John Williams never did the music in an episode of X Files. No, I know, but no, but like the the sound effect, I was like, and as I've been immersing myself more and more in film i'm realizing more and more how often sound effects are borrowed from other things and bits of music and not even just full songs but literally like one or two second clips of a song that like work well with a scene like that they get borrowed from so i get it it, more now but it was just one of those things where i was like oh i wonder because like obviously like i said at the start the pilot of the x-files is an indiana jones reference in it with the warehouse like so it's no surprise that maybe they're reusing the sound too, because Chris Carter is obviously a huge fan. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. The opening is a lot of fun, and it is so like we've talked about already. Just done. Like people reference it in, like all the time. Like it's it's iconic. Mm-hmm. But it was just so funny that like at the end of the when he's getting out, it's just like oh, bye bye Alfred Molina. Because I was like oh look, oh, it's yeah. Alfred Molina. Oh, you didn't remember that that's what happened to that guy? No, not even a little bit. I was (laughs) like, oh, yeah, no. I remembered. I knew. Again, I've seen this movie quite a bit. I'm a a big fan. Although, like, I I watched it more while I was older, kind of a thing, versus Mm -hmm. when I was younger. When it comes to the intro, there was a couple things I wrote down. One was when you meet Belloc finally. You learn everything you need to know about him in a v- very few lines as possible. Mm-hmm. And you basically get to know, oh, this is the villain because he just maniacally laughs at one point. Yeah. So it was like, okay, that that tells me that that dude is the villain. But the opening, in, in addition to establishing that Belloc is the villain, establishes so many things in, in just a few short minutes. Now, what I wrote down, this is the stuff that I've established. Mm-hmm. The intro establishes that Belloc is the villain. Yep. It establishes that Indiana Jones is incredibly competent. Yep. Because of how well he traverses like the traps and he he sees the people sneaking up on him and and things like that or or like with the he, he the stuff he does with the whip. Yep. Shows that he he's very good at what he does. It shows that he is not afraid of very much. Like the the scene with the spiders and stuff like that. Like he has no bones you know, walking through the spiders and 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 running through the poison darts and 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 things like that. But then it also establishes that he is absolutely 
afraid of snakes. Yes. So after all of this sh- stuff that it shows that he's not afraid of, they show you something that he is definitely afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes such an impact that there's an amazing payoff later in the movie. Yeah. So that was, uh, and then, and then it fades from this scene where he's incredibly competent and a superhero and an action star to the scene where he's, he's a teacher mm-hmm. at the university and he seems like he's absolutely uncomfortable in his skin. Like he's, he's teaching and he's like, it's, it's the Superman Clark Kent thing where, where when he's Superman, he's very charismatic and, and, you know, and, and boisterous and, and confident. But when he was the teacher, he was very like, uh, is this? and then, um, they, uh, they well, come and there, in there and- is, you, you, you do have to mention the other thing is he is the attractive yes. you know, professor. The, the uncomfortableness might not entirely be teaching. It might be. These, these like girls are 50, throwing themselves at 50, me. Like 19 year old girls, like one of them who's literally painted love you on her eyelids. So every time she blinks at me, she's telling me she, like, would that not Which be is a great you, gag, by the way. Would you not be super uncomfortable in that too? <laughs> Maybe, but they he's shown to be uncomfortable before they show that kind of thing. But whatever. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I see what you're, what you're saying. So I, but that's the thing. It's like, it does show him more like human. He's not perfect. Yeah. So, cause like when a perfect person does all the right things, it's, it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. So when someone does have flaws, it's a lot more interesting. So not being super confident in front of this horde of young women who are ready to throw themselves. And remember, this is also not like, you know, in the eighties, it's when, the thirties. It's yeah. the thirties. So 1936 this is, is when the movie takes Yeah. Place. So this is definitely when, you know, like, women's spots in society and the fact that these you know women are even so many of them in college at in 1936 is like good for them Mm -hmm. because that's not really 1936 ish for it's not accessible for most women at that time yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh, obviously i don't i don't think they were in 1981 in writing rages the lost ark were they really taking into account the historical accuracy of percentage of women in archaeology classes in university? Probably not, no. No, I'm pretty sure it was just a gag. Yeah. So, anywho. Something else that I really liked about the the intro was they give a, a huge exposition dump about the arc and its purpose and where it is and all that stuff. But they do it in such a great way where they have those two agents, the army agents come in and the one guy has no idea what anybody's talking about. So they have to explain it all to him. So I thought that was an awesome way to to do a big exposition dump without it being like, you know, overly forced or anything like that. But also getting back to the Indiana Jones, not being as comfortable in a classroom setting as Mm -hmm. when he's being an adventurer, when they find out that he's going on the mission, like when he, when um, oh, I can't remember his friend's name, but he comes to his house and he tells him and Indiana Jones starts to pack. The first thing I wrote down, the first thing he grabs is the whip and the jacket and then the gun. Yeah. <laughs> he's ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's just like out the door. Yeah. He's like, let's go. It's adventure time. Yeah. Like that's what he wants to do. And like. When I was in university, I took, I never took archaeology, but I took a few anthropology courses and loved them. And part of me is like, 
what if I had been an anthropologist and like gotten my PhD in anthropology? Like I had one professor who was an anthropologist and he he specialized on people in the Pacific Islands and he lived nine months out of the year in Vanuatu. He and his family lived nine months out of the year in Vanuatu and for three months out of the year, he is a professor. I don't know if he still is. This is a long time ago now which is so sad (laughs) at McMaster. He teaches for three months and then he goes back to Vanuatu and does his anthropology work there and writes and blah, blah, and comes back and teaches, I guess just to keep his tenure. I don't know how it works, but he lives most of the time there. So like his real life is in Vanuatu and him as a teacher is his like part-time gig three months a year. So, but that's, it's very realistic for Indiana Jones to live like that as a professor. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. Like I said, we watched this movie a lot as a kid. I don't remember so much of it. I completely forgot he went to Nepal. Really? But it, when they, cause it's the first scene where you see him doing the, like the, the plane, like vroom, with vroom, the red to line the map. Yeah. And it's like Nepal. Why is he? No, the, the arc isn't in Nepal. And I was like, Oh, and then when he shows up at the bar, I was like, I forgot about Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget about her in general? Kinda. Or that he went and got her there. Kinda. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you. Um. I mean, no. It is the. It's not called Indiana Jones and Marion go off to, you know, after the Raiders are the are raiding the Lost Ark. Wow. That was my brain just could not get there. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but because like once he was there and he, I was like, oh right, Marion. And then we see her and she's having the drinking contest. Yes. And I was just like, which is another great payoff because later they do that again. But and not just that, but you do realize how much of an alcoholic she must be. That's true. Well, it sounded takes like some of the fun out of it. <laughs> okay. But if she's able to drink that much and still be standing and like everything that happens like immediately after, if she was not an unbelievably deep in it alcoholic, she should have been on the floor the whole time. Right. Like the Nazi would have shown up and be like, where's the necklace? She should have been like, you listen to me. Yeah. Sleep in the corner. I don't know a necklace. I got a secret for you. (laughs) That would have been her. Right. But she's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm being coy. Mm -mm, I'm perfectly fine. (laughs) You know, I, you know, I'm perfectly sober. I'm not stumbling. I'm, you know, shooting people. Girl is an alcoholic. Well, during that scene, there's a small conversation that makes me believe that she had a bit of a traumatizing 10 years after yes, she met Indiana true. Jones. Yeah, he might not be the best man to consider a romantic relationship with. Yeah, well, I mean, in general, yes. But the, the way that they frame it, they basically frame it that like he was much older and she was much younger. Like their their ages are not specified in the film. But she literally says, I was a child and didn't know any better. Yeah. So it's like, how in, how in the weeds does that get, you know? Kind of I, I feel like you can say I was a child in that sort of situation and still mean you were like 21, 22. Because right. like, you know, I... You know, every once in a while you think back, it's like, I'm 35 now. And you think back like how much your life has changed, blah, blah. I was like, think about who I was dating at 21 and how awful that relationship would have been. And I was just like, yeah, but we're 
they're basically children. Like we didn't know any better. Right. And I, I think that's more she, what she means by it. Not that she was like some 13 year old and Indy was like 25. And, you know, cause I, I, I would really hope that's not the case. Yeah. So anyway, never know. I hope not. Cause <laughs> that's awful. Uh, in that scene, he offers her $5,000 for the necklace. Ooh. On that note, though, Harrison Ford is nine years older than Karen Allen. So who knows what that situation really was. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Anyway, that it's it's throwaway dialogue in a movie, so maybe we shouldn't think about it too much. <laughs> again, I, you're right. Because like, yeah. I said the same thing about like historical accuracy of archaeology student ratios of gender anyway. yeah anyway <laughs> he offers her for her for her help to give the necklace he offers her three thousand and then she asks for an additional two thousand so five thousand dollars i decided to do a little bit of uh investigating on this mm-hmm. in 1936 five thousand dollars how much do you think that inflates to in today's money eight million dollars uh a little much a little much fourteen thousand $93,000. serious? Yes. I went to the official inflation calculation device and it came $93,000. That cannot be. I, I'm not. This is what oh, I wait, looked up. Oh, wait, this is 36. This I'm is 1936. Eight, I'm thinking 81. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> 19, 1936. Oh my goodness. For a second, I was like, no, I know inflation's bad, but that's a bit much. <laughs> yes, no. 19. 36 to today's money. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense still. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> so that, that scene goes on and then the Nazi guy shows up with his uh, thugs and they burn down the bar and the really funny scene happened. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but okay. it's entertaining. Can I just, Marianne takes off that friggin' chain with yes. the thing on it that she's been wearing this whole time. And that thing thuds when she puts it down too. Like I can barely wear like a pendant without it straining my neck. Like, Girl was not wearing that all the time. That thing would be friggin' heavy. And you would have seen it through her shirt all the time as she was moving around like that bit much. And, and then like the Nazi who's supposed to be the scary Nazi, he picks it up once when it's hot and he burns his little muffin head and then yeah. he runs away. And I'm like, really? He doesn't seem like a scary Nazi anymore because he literally just books it. Yes. No, that's, this is true. He like freaks out and runs away. He's like the burglars in Home Alone when he grabs that. No, thing. they kept trying. Oh, the no. The Nazi just ran away. Well, they escaped after that. He still could have gone. He, he probably could have come back. He, I feel like he could have just he attempted just to Nazi grab it again. He was a Nazi bitch boy. He was a Nazi bitch boy, but I mean, whatever. One thing I did wrote, write down, and I never noticed this until this viewing of the movie, is that one of the Nepalese, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sure that, I think that's right, Nepalese? Nepalese? Nepalese. Yeah. One of the Nepalese henchmen of the Nazi is a white dude with Asian makeup. Yeah. That, that, that's the first time I've ever caught that one. Yeah, that's that was problematic for a long time in movies. Yeah, they probably and, just like let's hire a stunt man and make yeah. him up. And yeah, so that was that was one thing. Also, this is the scene that I realized this movie is way bloodier than I remember. Yeah, remember the controversy of them wanting to change like guns to walkie talkies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was an ET. Yeah, and but like. Which is also another Spielberg film. Yeah, but, there was um, like, but they were there was like all this like controversy of them changing a bunch of old Spielberg films to like take out any sorts of violence and stuff. 
Yeah, well, like Indiana Jones shoots people in the head. Yeah. And blood just gushes out of their head. And this is a PG movie. Yep. Like, I mean, this is- But 19, this is before- This is before they had like PG-13 yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, because like Poltergeist was the catalyst for that. And right? and Temple of Doom with the- Yeah, uh, yeah. when the dude got his heart ripped out. That was the other, those that two movies. That was the other scary thing about Temple of Doom, I yeah. remember, was the heart <laughs> The heart thing. ripped out, yes. Why did my mom show me that? Because <laughs> as we established, she wanted to mess with you. Probably. Yeah. I'm not even going to lie. That is probably a big part of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like not only in that scene, but there are many scenes in the movie where people full on get like shot in the face mm-hmm. and like, yeah. So that was something that I was like, this is way bloodier than I remember. Like there's, there's scenes in it that I remember, I remember him shooting the dude in the, in the, the marketplace with the sword and, and that being fun. And I mean, obviously I remember the guy on the plane later and, but yeah, there's a lot of just people murdered, you know, like just. You know what kind of made me sad speaking of murder? What? I know it was kind of one of those like, that monkey I is wrote a this Nazi? Down. The Nazi monkey. <laughs> but then the Nazi monkey dies from poison. And yes. I couldn't help but feel bad I for the monkey. I felt bad about the Nazi monkey. I wrote this down too. Because I guess like the monkey didn't know any better. The monkey doesn't have any chance to understand like philosophy and it's true. empathy. That and... monkey was trained to be a Nazi. Yeah. He didn't choose to be a Nazi. Yeah. It would be like being mad at like a five-year-old. Yeah. They don't know any better. Yeah. The note I wrote down is poor Nazi monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know what I did remember for this movie? Speaking of people getting shot. What? The guy who comes out with the sword. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, and Indy just draws the gun and shoots him dead. And I'm like, now that I remember. Because that was always classic. Cause, and you know what? Because I obviously I don't remember watching this movie for the first time. And I know I've seen that clip many, many times. But could you imagine, you know, you've heard great things about this movie. And it's 1981. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go see it. You know, Superman 2 is a bit of a letdown. But I'm going to go see Indiana Jones this yeah. week. And you're like, oh, no, I'm really into this character. That guy's got swords. Oh, what's Indy get it? Bang. Yeah. <gasps> You'd just be like, that's amazing. That scene is so great. And the funny thing is, is everything I've heard about it is it's an accident. The the story. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. The story was that the Harrison Ford was sick on the day and they had a whole fight scene choreographed. And they were like, well, this guy really wants to show off the sword thing that he learned. And they're like, okay, well, let's do this instead. And it's like amazing. Yeah, like it comes across because like it's that little bit of a nod to Indiana Jones, not only being like super good at all sorts of stuff, but he also is smart enough to know when to just shoot the guy. <laughs> yes. yes. Like, oh, Save- look, I'm not going to beat this guy in a sword fight, but I have a gun. Yeah. Boom. I don't yeah, I support gun violence at all. But still, boom. Yes. Takes that dude out. That that was something that I, I I wrote like that scene was great. There's a lot of good like sight gags. Yes. In in this movie as well. And what's the one that I was thinking of specifically that I wrote down? I guess I don't know. <laughs> Off the top of my wow. Sorry. You know so so after they're in Cairo and I I love that John Reese Davis Rice Davis Reese Davis. I think it's Reese Davis. Yeah, it shows up. I think it's Reese Davies. Even. Davies Davies yeah. not Davis Davies. It shows up. Cause he's always great. Like, and he's, again, he's one of those people that like, especially these old, but like, it's his voice. You yeah. recognize him by his voice more than how he looks first. So they're in Cairo for a bit, but then Marion gets kidnapped. Like despite, you know, Andy's 
best efforts. Although you think she's dead. You think you're supposed to think she's dead. And it's funny because I remember you were watching it and you were like, how did anyone think that she was dead? And I'm like, at the time, people didn't know that she was alive still. Like, you remember that I she was alive. I remembered her being alive. And it's just, you're right. It's like, oh, the truck blew up with her. Like, they think she's in it. Oh, right. Because it's like, I knew she was still alive. Yeah. But you, and that's, and that's kind of one of the, because these are movies, again, we've all seen before. So seeing it for the first time, you, it's almost one of those classic movies I wish I could watch for the first time again, mm-hmm. because I feel like so much of it would be so much more impactful. Right. I got to find like some movies where like I've never seen them that are classic movies and give them a watch because like I'm sure there's lots like that. That would be really fun, I think. Mm-hmm. Got an idea for a new podcast, hon. Well, I thought we were just going to. I, I already talked about how we were going to try and do that at some point on this it show. Was, it was. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Let's do another show. What do we call it? Let's call it new popcorn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Old new popcorn. Old no. new popcorn. But no. like, And then you know he finds her and she's tied up and the whole thing. And he's like, oh, I'm going to get you out of here. But not right now. Bye. And she's just like, and I understand to an extent that like if he lets her go, then the jig is up. Obviously, they'll know he's around. So he's got to do something, right? So he has to leave her for that. But like at the same time, it's like, well, is it really good of him to like leave her to hopefully get the arc you'd think he'd take her and then take off but like i don't know is he really dickish right and that's the thing especially knowing the end of the movie i'm almost like he probably could have just taken off with her and things would have probably ended up just as good or better yeah just kind of the same really yeah like the angle really they they couldn't have known it at the time but like they probably would have done well to just let the nazis have the arc that's true. Bring it right to Hitler. Right to Hitler and open that thing up. That would have been really good. Yeah, Indy screwed up everything. You're right. At the end of the day, Indy actually made things worse. Yeah. We had, had World just, War II if he had just let them have the Ark. If they had taken the Ark to Hitler, there would have been no... We have to go back in time and kill Indiana Jones. Yep, that's it. We don't kill Hitler. We kill Indiana Jones. Yeah, that makes more sense because yeah. he probably has less of an impact overall, but it's still natural. So we have to kill Indiana Jones. That makes sense. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Miriam tries to escape, though. Yeah. And she tries to do it with a drinking contest, as we saw earlier. So I thought that that was really good to to have that come back. This is the sight gag, because I remember now, the sight gag that I was talking about was when the Nazi shows up, and he's like, well, I guess we'll have to talk to you. And he starts, like, assembling a device, and you're like, oh, no, what has he got? And then it's a hanger for his jacket. Yeah. Like that bit was great, you know, like th- this little fun touches like that. But then it cuts back to Indy and Sala revealing the arc and the way that they shoot the arc when it's revealed for the first time, it makes it look a hundred times more important than it is, you know, like, yeah, like they did. A, they did a fantastic job with the reveal of the arc. Mm-hmm. Like they don't tease it. They, like, it's like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. But instead of there being no payoff, because they look at it and they're like, oh, whoa, what's inside kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And there's like, the light, right? They do that. They open up the, the they open up the container the arc is in. Mm-hmm. And then there's the light. And they're all like, oh, wow. And then, then you actually get to see it. And I feel like that has a lot more impact because it's like, oh, when? What, how you know, glorious could it be? And then you see it and it's more beautiful than you could ever have imagined kind of a thing. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 
I get what you're saying, 100%. And, like, speaking of the return thing, like, the when they get thrown in the, uh, the pit, really, like, with the snakes, like, yes. the, the snakes, like, it returns to it. And I had did some Googling to make sure. Mm-hmm. One, there's, like, 10,000 snakes in there. Yes. Like, legit. I was really worried because it was 1981. I was really worried and everything I Googled kind of like no one said it happened. I was like, because Indy sets the snakes on fire. Right. Did they really set some snakes I on don't fire? think they yeah. actually. I mean, they don't even show it happen on screen. Yeah. So, but at one point you do see the glass between Marion and the- uh, And the Cobra. The Cobra, which yeah. I mean, smart that they had the glass there. And I think on VHS, you never would have noticed no. it. But on DVD, we did. Because thank goodness, because like, and I it did was look, a cobra. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I looked into some of the snakes because I wanted to make sure, one, they didn't... Because, like, even now, a lot of people don't have a lot of respect for snakes. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine almost 40 years ago? 40 years ago, they would have been filming this. They, they wouldn't have cared for the snakes at all. So the fact that, thankfully, it seems like, no, they, they didn't just burn a bunch of snakes alive. It really, <laughs> this, very reassuring. I spent, like, half an hour Googling this. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, these poor snake babies. Uh-huh. I love snakes. I think they're so cool. I think they are just really fascinating members of the animal world. I like them a lot. Right. I would really like to have a snake one day. I just think they're really cool. Well, here's a fact for you, hon. All of those snakes are dead. No, not likely. A lot of the bigger snakes are probably still alive. Snakes have very long lifespans. But how old were the snakes at the time? They could all be dead. But they might not be. That's the thing. Okay, well, whatever. I was trying to make a joke and make you go, oh, no, or something. And no, then you, you, pulled that, you pulled that on me. So Snakes I'm going to move on. For, reptiles can live for quite a long time. That's depending. cool. Let's move on. So later on, they get the ark. The Nazis are trying to take the ark out of there. And they try to, to hijack the plane. Marion and Indy are like, okay, well, let's get out of here by stealing the plane with the ark on it. And the, the, the thing I love about this scene is that... They they f- start fighting the two two guys who are there. There's the pilot and the mechanic, mm-hmm. and then this other guy comes out. Oh, he's Is ready. that dude's job to just bare knuckle box people? Because that guy comes out and is just like, oh, it's my time to shine. Well, no, you know what? And it, again, this is thirties, right? It's I know. Like yeah, thirty six. Boxing is kind of a big deal, and so imagine like boxing is his hobby. Yeah, maybe before he enlisted in the war effort, he. Or in Hitler's army or whatever, because it wasn't really the war at this time. Right. He he loved boxing. That was his jam. Like that was his hobby. And he doesn't get to really do it as much anymore. Cause so he's like, and then you see, and he's like, look, I know how to fight. I love being a Nazi. I'm gonna defend <laughs> it. And he just pulls off his shirt and he's just ready to go. Yes. And it's just like, and again, I think it's just more like the writing is like, because a lot of this movie, like the story itself is based off these old adventure novels, yes. right? So this is the kind of thing you'd find in an adventure novel, I'm sure. And, he, but he's ready to go. And <laughs> during this big fight, like at one point, they throw sand at him. And yes. Just Pocket like, sand. Because. <laughs> Jail Gribble's character for the ages. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, and then of course, like they're fighting on this plane and like things are blowing up because the gasoline is leaking. And obviously, you know, someone's going to go into the propeller. And it's just, yeah, a lot of violence, I would say. Cause like Marianne's shooting the gun at people. And she like blows up a whole car full of like a truck full of dudes. Yeah. And at that, that was kind of the point where I kind of turned to you and I was like, 
a lot of people die in this movie. Yep. And I kind of didn't realize it. But then it hit me. They're all Nazis. They're all Nazis. So who cares? So it's good. Yeah. It's actually not a negative at all. These no. are all Nazis. And fuck Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them die horribly. And that's good. Yes. <laughs> yep. Nazi punks. Fuck off. Yes. <laughs> I endorse this message. So. Remember when America hated Nazis? Yeah. What I, happened there? I You know, let's not get into that. Anyway. Yeah, let's move on. What, what's your next point? Because I could keep... <laughs> so at that point, I stop writing notes when they get to the spot where they, they tie up Indy and Marion and they're going to open the box because I right. was like, no, I'm watching this shit and I'm not writing it. So I literally wrote down, now things get cray cray cray. And that's the <laughs> end of my notes because I was just like, yeah, let's watch some Nazis melt. Yeah. My last note, my last note is actually that the scene, which is also somewhat topical, where Bellock is making a speech and the fly goes in his mouth and he just continues talking. Oh my God. You I didn't mean, catch that? No. Yeah. That's something. Is it's that like good a, acting or is that like that fly legit was like added in could you imagine no no it actually happens like they they happen on scene so like spielberg must be sitting there in the booth like well i guess that's the best take yeah use it (laughs) you know yeah i'm like did he just really yeah you didn't catch that yeah next time watch it the fly goes a fly lands on his face and then goes in his mouth while he's talking (gasps) i would have been like no i don't care how much it costs to reset this shot yeah professional professional but yeah though so they all get tied up the villain calls indy's bluff about blowing up the ark because he knows that that indy cares more about the actual archaeological find than about you know his own life or the life of others kind of a thing Mm -hmm. so he calls his bluff and then they all get tied up and then all the nazis die yeah and it's great and you know what i had to actually because like it makes me a little sad that you know i have a degree in history and yet i still was like why did the Ark kill all the Nazis? And mm-hmm. when I was a kid, my mom told me, and see, this is my mom again, not, I don't know, is she trying to mess with me? I don't know. But she she told me, because I was like, why did the box kill everybody? She said, oh, because they got the wrong box. They got Pandora's box. And I was like. Is what? So I, for the longest time, I was like, Okay. As a kid, and then like watching it when I was a bit older, I was like, "That's but I that's never... not what Pandora's box does anyway." I know. <laughs> well, I know that now, but anyway, so I I did a bit of researching on the Ark as to why what happens happens because right. I was like, like it's like, oh, okay, the like they they have this idea of what the Ark is supposed to do, and then it doesn't freaking do that, mm-hmm. and Indy knows to close his eyes, like he's like Marion close your eyes don't look at it because he knows something bad's gonna happen and so like my mom's like oh well it's pandora's box as a kid i was just like bad things happen i know pandora's box is bad things adds up right so anyway this is a woman who got me a practice game boy yes yes (laughs) my kids can have such stupid stories about me remember my mom had a podcast with my dad and they talked and they talked about my birthday and then i got spoiled and they yeah, agree on whether or not my Spider-Man Big Wheel was a movie-related exactly. prop or not. Exactly. So everyone's got stupid stories with their parents. Yeah. So whatever. No. So do you want to? Yeah. Wait, please let no, me know. I was gonna say, do you want to wager sort of a guess? Oh, do I want to wager a guess? Okay. Um, because I don't know. Uh, was it because they didn't 
believe in the true God? Kind of. So remember, the Ark of the Covenant is a very important Jewish record. Yes, and they are not fans of Jewish people. So basically, the Ark really will basically lead armies to victory if they are good Jewish people. Okay, yeah. But the Nazis are essentially the exact opposite of that. Of course. And so the Ark is like, oh, you're Nazis? Remember how we hate Nazis? We don't like you. Face melt. So that's why it does it. And Indy knows to close his eyes because he realizes that opening it and like closing his eyes basically is showing respect by not looking at it. Mm-hmm. So he is showing the arc respect when he closes his eyes and tells Mary to do the same thing. So the the spirits in the arc don't face melt him because they accept his respect to yeah. them for being so great. And then it kills all the Nazis. You know what I like about the Nazis dying? That the Nazis die? Well, not just the Nazis Horribly. die. Horribly. But the Nazis die in like a smorgasbord of different ways. This is true. I talk about the face melt, and I would say the face melt is probably the most famous one. That's the best one. Because it is really good. But the the three main guys, there's the the lead Nazi. Yes. There's uh, Selok. Belloc. Belloc. I don't know why I keep saying, are you sure it's Belloc? It's Belloc, yeah. Whatever. I wrote it down in my notes like four times. Okay. So anyway, and then there's the guy in the black trench coat who's face melts. Yes. And they all do. You're right. They all like one, two, three. So Belloc explodes. Yep. The leader dude deflates like a balloon. Yeah. He like his face implodes. Yeah. And then the the dude in the black suit melts, which Mm -hmm. was accomplished by melting a wax sculpture of that dude's face with a bright lamp and then speeding the footage up. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. So the Nazis all die in a smorgasbord of fun ways. Which is great. Yeah, because it's it's less fun if they all just died the same way. Yeah. Know? Like the fact that the, the production designers and everything, they went all out on this scene. It wasn't just because they could have just been like, okay, lightning strikes through every and they all just collapse and die. Yeah. Like, no, they get like there's like a fire explosion and all sorts of crazy crap happens and it's great. Belloc's head explodes. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, I mean, I remember the the I said earlier about how I don't remember this movie being so gory. I remember this part. Like there's no way I'll ever forget that watching that dude's face melt, you know. No, how could you? <laughs> but but everybody else getting shot cuz I remember the rest of the movie being relatively tame up until melty explosion time, you know. But yeah, no, that's that's uh, an an impactful ending. That's that's for sure. Concur. And then uh, you know, Indiana Jones goes back, and and then the the awesome scene where they're like, okay, you you brought the ark back. Where did it go? Oh, we're just putting it in a warehouse where you never see it again. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. It's like, oh, it was going to be somewhere where it can be safe and studied. And he's like, we got to study this thing. And I'm like, you do realize and remember that if the wrong person opens it, it will explode their face. Yes, that's probably there why they a, just put it in the box. And yeah, which is right because. As much as it's like, oh, yeah, we beat the Nazis. We saved the Jews. It's like, no, nah, you didn't really like the Jews either. Not so much Indy, but I'm just saying the American like government and the American people at the time. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I don't remember the ending where Indiana Jones hates Jews. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, if the wrong person opens it, in America, 
that's like the majority of the population would be the wrong person to open it. They didn't like the Jews either. They didn't go to Germany to liberate the Jews. They went to Germany because Germany was, if Germany hadn't invaded anybody else, nobody would have cared how many Jews they killed. Fun fact. It's the truth. Uh, Always the fun facts on this podcast. I'm sorry. I have a history degree that is useless for anything but this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Anyway, I feel like this is the 10th episode of the show. This is the most in-depth we've gone, like, getting the plot accurate. You know, like we we've we've talked about, you know, how things go, but I feel like this is the most accurate recap we've done so far. You know, like we didn't skip much. You know? This is true. And you know what? Like, but I would say it's a film that historically deserves a good talk about. Yes, definitely. It is a very important film. As as we started out by saying, like the the amount of references alone to this film and other media are just uncountable at this point. Right. And well, realistically, the movie is only like 39 years old. So the fact that it's had that much of an impact on that much more media in that short span of time is pretty important. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Anyway, that's what we thought about the movie in 1981. Critics had different thoughts on the movie. Maybe, maybe they liked it. Maybe they didn't. Laura, why don't you fill us in on some past reviews? Well, spoiler. They really liked it. Oh, that's good. This is the highest rated movie, both critically and commercially uh, that we've covered so far, mm-hmm. 95% critical and 96% positive audience score. Mm. Very close. Close as they've been too, like a percent away. My favorite, because again, household name, Roger Ebert called it a series of breathless and incredible adventures. Stephen Klein called the film exhilarating escapist entertainment. Dave Kerr said the constant rush between set pieces felt monotonous. There is a few negative reviews here and there, but mostly overwhelmingly positive. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie itself won seven Saturn Awards and the People's Choice Award for Favorite Motion Picture. Nominated for a ton of other stuff that it didn't win. Like, it was nominated at the Wazoo. So, like, the movie critically and commercially did astronomically well. So there's a fifth one coming. Like, There's a reason this franchise got started, and it's because this is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Which, stating that, what's your... I mean, I feel like it's a no-brainer at this point, but what's what's your verdict on this one? I wouldn't call it a double butter. Really? But I don't think I want to call it a plain popcorn either. It's kind of somewhere in the middle where it's almost like the popcorn under the popcorn where you've, like, you've drizzled your butter on top. And you've eaten all those drizzled butter pieces and the rest is left that still has a little bit of butter on it here and there, but it's not plain because you've still gotten a little bit of the butter remnants on it. It's in that range. Right. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. But my feeling is it's a little bloated at 115 minutes long. Okay. Well, I was going to say, because I'm going to stick to the actual rubric that we created where we have three... <laughs> I never will again. No, you won't. You never stay. Uh, so I'm giving this a double butter. I think this is a great movie. I think it's aged well. It's a lot of fun. But if I have a complaint about it, it's that it's a lot longer than I remember it being. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, and I was sitting there and and I'm like, when, when they got to the, like, the submarine stuff, I was like, this is all fun. I forgot about the submarine bit. I, I I thought that was in a different movie, a different Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, there's still this much more to go. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was still excited because we were the thing that was still to come was the face melting scene. But by the time we reached the U-boat scene, I was kind of like, okay, this is, let's speed this up, you know? So, but again, there's still some gold in those scenes. Like when, when he steals the dude's uniform and he punches the guy, like that stuff's all still great, but it was getting a little long by the end of it. He just yeah. needs to trim some of the fat and like, cause it is like, I think that's why I picked that review is that like Dave Kerr kind of said it best is that like it's just like it is all the scenes individually are great it's just it's just one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty four fifty sixty seventy like it just it starts to get a little monotonous towards the end but they're still good Mm -hmm. so it's not bad but it's just a bit bloated okay so if i have to force you to pick between double butter and plain, what are you picking? Plain. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that because the way that you made that sound, you were going double butter with no, it. I'm a child of the 90s. I don't have an attention span. Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. I was expecting it, uh, the way we were talking about this. I thought you were on board the double butter train entirely, but no, you. No, okay. I'm sorry. Weird. I'm the worst. I'm well aware. Yeah, you are. You are the worst. I knew. I knew going like at the end of the movie, I was like, I don't think I can give this a double butter. And I knew you were going to be mad at me for it. Yeah. Well, you deserve it. I mean, you didn't like the craft. So. That's different. This is not the craft didn't spawn five movies. Not yet. The second one comes out next week. And I bet it's going to be great. A garbage truck on fire. Don't you even start David Covney's <laughs> in it. Anyway, for this week's episode of Burnt Popcorn, I have been Mike. I am Laura. And next week, we will be talking about... This will be the oldest film we've done. Oh, older than older than this one. Okay. So it's a little difficult because the data for number one at the box office really doesn't get tracked until 1981. And I feel like a big part of that is just the cinema was so different up until then, until like blockbusters really became the name of the game and they were tracking like who was number one and, you know, they were all connected and blah, 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 because things are very different. But... So if we're going to, because I really would like to cover movies that aren't just 80s and 90s. Like of course, It really yeah. narrows things down. But the rules we'll have to play by for anything before like 1980 and earlier, we're going to have to go by movies that were, as long as they were both critical and commercial successes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be number one in the box, but it was considered a commercial or critical success or hopefully both. Okay. Or won awards. We have to be a little more loosey-goosey on, I'd say, our rules. But still, this is pre eighties. Pre eighties, okay. Eighties has to be either number one or rewards winner. These ones, it might have been nominated for awards and not won. This movie did. This movie did. But I'm just saying, for the future, we are going to have to just, you know, like, look. This movie did really well at the box office overall, but it was never. We don't know if it was a number one. I mean, it was nominated for a bunch of awards, didn't win. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's uh, there's movies in the seventies that I want to do too. Perfect. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're we're clear on that. The rules. For the seventies and earlier, we're going to be a little different. Next, I, I just can't wait to see what this is going to be. Next week, we are going to be covering one of the top horror films of I, all. I knew time. it was going to be a horror movie. I knew it. The Exorcist. Oh, okay, okay, I'm down with that. Yeah, 1973. I knew, I knew. No matter classic. what it was going to be, it was going to be a horror movie. Most of your choices will be horror movies. I know this. 
Hey, I've picked mostly comedies so far, so you can give the me craft a The Craft was not a comedy. I said mostly. Friday the 13th was not a comedy. Rush Hour 2 was. Wait, why did I keep saying Rush Hour 2? Two? We only did one Rush Hour, and it was Rush Hour 1. I keep saying Rush Hour 2. Uh, <laughs> What's wrong with me? I don't know. But, but yeah, we're going to do The Exorcist. Okay, I'm cool. I'm down with that. Of course, if you recall, I, I first saw The Exorcist like two or three years ago, so- Oh, right. That's yeah. even more fun. So, oh, yeah. Y'all are going to be like, what was wrong with Laura's parents? Oh, I can't wait then. Well, we'll leave that for next week's episode. But for this week's episode, I hope you had a great time and you'll join us for next week. Until then, we'll talk to you again soon.